being a white, almost 30-year-old male from the Midwest, I'm at that phase of life where uh, I should be starting to get into hobbies like smoking meat, playing golf, and reading books about World War II. Now, admittedly, I've already been into the whole smoking meats thing for a while now because I love to grill and I really want a smoker. I refuse, however, to play golf. I refuse. Unless it's mini, I have no interest in playing golf. And I never really saw myself as someone who would become a World War II history buff. But I gotta say, this series is slowly starting to change my mind. Welcome back to My Seminary Life. I'm your host, Brandon Knight. This is the summer of Bonhoeffer. And for the most part, this has been a theological journey through the writings of the famous German Lutheran theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer. But this has also been a little bit of a World War II history lesson for everybody, particularly today's episode. We are, I, I'm going to say this next part, but I want to preface this by saying I mean this in all sincerity. In, this episode is the turning point where we will be entering the darkest timeline. I know saying the darkest timeline often brings to mind those very goofy episodes from the TV show Community, but Truly, we are on the precipice of entering a very dark time in history. The year is 1933. Let's just go ahead and get right into this. The year is 1933. It is the early part of the year, and Germany has officially passed the Aryan Paragraph. So what this paragraph was simply is that uh, this this document officially made it illegal for those of a non-Aryan descent, specifically Jewish people, from holding political civil office. That's what this document did. This is one of the first steps towards where we're headed with the Holocaust. Um, the, However, this document was only for civil leaders and had nothing to do at all with the church until we got to the summer of 1933 when the Reich church and a group called the German Christians. This is not every single Christian who is a German, but rather uh, a group called the German Christians began petitioning their churches and synods with a religious variation of the Aryan paragraph, which would do three things. It would first off remove, again, again, non-Aryan people, specifically Jewish people. It would remove them from the church as members, as congregants. It would uninstall those people from ministry positions, pastors, bishops, what have you. And it would prevent non-Aryans from being able to attend seminary, just outright blocking people entirely from entering ministry, being active in ministry, and even just preventing them from being able to enter the church building, period. This started happening in the summertime, Slowly, churches and different synods began adopting this religious variation of the Aryan paragraph. 
we get to the early fall. It's the it's early September, and Bonhoeffer is ready to weigh in, and he writes a dissertation, and this is what we're going to be talking about today, is this dissertation Bonhoeffer writes on the Aryan paragraph. Now, when we when you hear the word dissertation, what probably immediately comes to mind are those huge, Donald trump size huge research papers that doctoral students have to write. These like 250-page, mega research, heavily cited, super in-depth research papers that doctoral students go and learn additional languages in order to write. However, this is not that kind of a dissertation. If anything, last week on the show, we talked about the catechism that Bonhoeffer co-authored um, back in 1931. We skipped ahead a couple years. Um, we talked about this catechism and how a catechism is this teaching tool that has a question with a short biblical response answer to help people internalize what they believe, right? This dissertation that Bonhoeffer is writing about the Arian paragraph is it it's almost like an anti-catechism because what he's doing is he's taking what the what the paragraph itself or what those who are supporting the paragraph are saying and then giving a short biblical response saying, no, you're wrong. That's not biblical. So it's, it's not this super in-depth. It's really short. The answers are pretty... Are, are short. They're a little longer than what the catechism, again, the catechism is more like a like three, four sentence response. These are like a paragraph or two per question. But this is what Bonhoeffer is presenting to his church, to his synod, to prevent them from adopting the Arian paragraph into their system. Now, my assumption is that 99 of you good folks at home listening to this episode right now do not need to be reminded that racism is bad and has no space whatsoever. Partiality has no space whatsoever in the church. You don't need to be reminded of that because you know such things. You know that we should not be showing partiality based off of anything socioeconomic class, skin color, anything like that, particularly in the church. You know that. I know that. Yes, systemic racism oftentimes makes, I shouldn't say makes us, but influences us to still act that way. But sometimes we we may act and do things offensively out of ignorance, but 99.9% of you listening right now know that being outright racist is evil. It's wrong. You know that. Now, as Pastor Will and I discussed back in the kickoff episode back in June, unfortunately, there's that 0.1% out there possibly listening to this episode right now who need to know that's wrong. Because last year, I don't know if you've seen these commercials, but some of the most trending hashtags 
were anti-Semitic hashtags. The Proud Boys wear merchandise that proudly display that the Holocaust did not kill enough Jewish people. Like, it's disgusting out there. And again, thanks to systemic racism and also just plain old-fashioned, you're just a bigot, there's still this problem even in the church. So, this episode is for the 99.9% who need a good reinforcing. Okay, I know, I know this is bad, but how do I articulate that biblically? Bonhoeffer's got some biblical and Lutheran answers for us, biblically Lutheran answers for us. And for that 0.1% who may be listening to this episode, hopefully this is the episode that finally starts to clue you in a little bit, finally starts to convict you to stop being a racist jerk at church. Stop being a jerk to your neighbors. Title of my next book. So Bonhoeffer gives a number of biblical rebuttals to this. One of them, and I would say the most reoccurring answer in all of this conversation is this, is that biblically speaking, you do have your cultural identifier. Let's not forget back several episodes ago, Bonhoeffer was appealing to people based off of his German-ness for sympathy towards his people for how they were mistreated from the Treaty of Versailles. So, like, even Bonhoeffer admits that, like, hey, you do have cultural identifiers that matter. Your your cultural background, your race, your ethnicity, they matter. But Jesus is greater. And he, sh- he goes to Paul and all the number of times in the epistles where... Jews and Gentiles have been made one through Jesus Christ. So this idea that we should be excluding those of non-Aryan descent, specifically Jewish people, from the church doesn't make sense because through Jesus and his word, by faith, we are made one in one body, in one church, following one grand shepherd, Jesus Christ, as his sheep. He also points out that this is like a reverse issue that they were having in the book of Acts, where Gentiles were initially coming to know Christ as Savior, and it took Peter and Paul and I believe Barnabas to stand up and give account that Gentile believers or Gentiles were coming to know Christ as Savior, but Jewish people were enforcing on them to get circumcised and to keep the law and it took paul and i believe barnabas and peter to stand up and say no like we we have received this message from the lord like they don't have to keep the law they don't that misses the point and even paul in the book of galatians has to kind of get on peter a little bit about this as well again when he's starting to show partiality towards jewish followers over the gentiles so bonhoeffer shows that this is like a reverse issue of now the Aryans, the Gentiles, are looking at the Jewish believers and saying, you're not like us, so you can't be a part of this church anymore, much like how the Jewish original Jewish believers were pointing towards the Gentile believers and saying, you're not like us, you need to be Jewish in order to follow Jesus. And that's just not how this works. 
Bonhoeffer, again, coming back to this idea that our, our cultural identities do not go away, our races do not go away, but we are made one by Jesus into one kingdom, one family. He goes to Matthew 12, starting in verse 48 and going to 50. Jesus asked, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he pointed to his disciples and said, look, these are my mother and my brothers. Anyone who does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So if you are doing the will of the father, if you have put your faith in Jesus, then you're part of the family now. It doesn't matter who you are racially. If you are following Jesus, you are part of the family now. There is no distinction here. And so this is a big part of what Bonhoeffer is, the case that Bonhoeffer is trying to build here of we're not going to, we should not be dismissing non-Aryan Jewish followers of Jesus because Jesus would not do that. He has been, he would accept them into his family just as he would Aryan believers or believers from other countries. Another reason given for the dismiss, dismissal of Jewish people from the church is that uh, German Christians, those who were supporting the Aryan paragraph, wanted the Jewish people to, the Jewish believers to form their own church. You do things your way, we're going to do things our way. And Bonhoeffer states that this is dividing the church from Jesus. And the church does not get divided from Jesus because the church belongs to Jesus. It's his family. It's his kingdom. It's his flock. And you're driving a wedge between something that is tied to Jesus. And this speaks to, I don't know if issue is the right word or not, but this speaks to something that I am definitely not qualified to talk about, but we need to raise it of how we have formed here in our country post-emancipation proclamation um, this idea of white churches and black churches and the history behind why we, I mean, segregation creating this, the black churches and the white churches. And it's a, it's a complicated conversation. Again, I am not the most qualified person to talk about this. I would feel much more com, com, comfortable. That's the word I want to say. I would feel much more comfortable having this conversation with somebody, particularly someone who is African-American to talk about like, Yes, there are cultural differences. I'm sure that was an argument that was used then in 1933 because that is an argument that is used now that there are just cultural differences. And so it just works out better to have, you know, churches that are primarily black, African-American, churches that are primarily Hispanic, churches that are primarily white, you know. And it's... I'm curious what Bonhoeffer would say towards that. Because if you recall, during his time here in America, where he found the gospel preached at was at black churches in Harlem. 
That's where he found the true gospel being preached and lived out, not in the white churches. So it makes me wonder what Bonhoeffer would have said towards that then and now of, I really do think the goal, and I don't want to lose the thread here. So we'll get back to the actual conversation. Cause again, this is a huge, this is a huge conversation. The point here is that Bonhoeffer is saying we should not dev- willingly drive stakes into the church that belongs to Jesus. This happens racially. This happens with all of the various denominations that were created because of splits over this, that, and the other thing. Like Christ's church, Christ's body, Christ's kingdom has sadly been divided over and over and over again for several different reasons. And that's just not what was supposed to happen in the first place. Again, this is a Lutheran and the Reformation that split from the Catholic Church. So we have all of these divisions, and it's almost like we need a church unity podcast. Hey, do you like the idea of a church unity podcast? Well, here on the Anazal Ministries Podcast Network, we have a show. It's called The Whole Church Podcast. You probably know about it already because it's way bigger than my show. Anyway, (laughs) infomercial over. The point I'm trying to make here is that I wonder how we can bring churches back together that are divided over cultural, racial things here in America. And that is a huge conversation that needs more people and people who don't look like me a almost 30-year-old white guy from the Midwest to talk about such things. So, but the point here, again, if you took a shot for every time I said the point here is I apologize. But um, <laughs> what Bonhoeffer is getting at is that we should not drive wedges into Christ's church. Moving on. The German Christians wanted to remove Jewish Christians so they could gain more Jewish, excuse me, gain more German followers. Those who were supporting this religious Aryan paragraph wanted to remove non-Aryans so that way they could bring more Germans in to get the gospel to them. And Bonhoeffer says a timeless truth in response to that, that to compromise the gospel in order to grow numerically is a loss. And that was true then, and that is absolutely still true now, that to compromise the gospel in order to grow numerically is ultimately a spiritual loss. So don't do it and stop doing it. I know I'm kind of preaching at the wind on that one, but if you are a pastor who needs to hear that, please, please do not compromise the gospel in order to grow numerically. How many, how many more times do we need to see a documentary that covers this in order for us to finally understand That ministry was supposed to be small. I really just more and more think that ministry is supposed to be small. It's not supposed to be some global worldwide thing. It's supposed to be small. 
it's best done that way. It, discipleship looks best when it's a small group. These are the things that keep me up at night. General anxiety. The, the German Christians uh, contended the Jewish people um, harmed them politically. I do not know what that was a reference to, and I have not had time this week to dig into that more. But apparently there was a political divide between the German Christians and the Jewish believers, the non-Aryan people. And because of that hurt, um, Jewish, or excuse me, Germans found it very difficult to worship alongside of Jewish people and to take communion with them. And Bonhoeffer responds, yeah, that's church for you. Mic drop. Okay, he probably didn't drop a mic, but come on, like that's a mic drop. Like that is what church is. Sadly, it's hard. It's difficult. It's not easy that you could go to church on Sunday and worship alongside of someone who hurt you that past week. You could be just... I don't know. I mean, I'm sure I'm not the only person who has gotten in the car and had a little spat with their spouse before getting to church. It happens. Sometimes you have you are sitting there taking communion with someone that you have to say, will you forgive me? That you need to confess your sins to. That is the nature of church. It's hard. It's messy. It's difficult. But that's what this is. Is Bonhoeffer saying get over it a little bit, but that's that that is how we stand out as different from the culture. That we are willing to forgive each other when reconciliation is pursued. Just to be clear, in case he wasn't yet already, Bonhoeffer states the Arian paragraph is a heresy. <laughs> I hope we can all agree. That this is a heresy, but just so we're clear, this is a heresy. And if a, a synod adopts this, he is calling for churches to stand for the true gospel and to withdraw and to be their own independent church in order to stand for the true gospel and for the body of Christ. Revoking a Jewish Christian's pastorate devalues their baptism because according to Martin Luther, again, getting a little Lutheran on here, so take it for what it's worth, all you non-Lutherans out there. According to Martin Luther, it is when you are baptized that you are baptized into the sainthood of all believers. You know, we believe in the that all believers are saints, the priesthood of believers, right? And so that happens at your baptism, according to Bonhoeffer. So if you are to remove a Jewish pastor from their pastorate based on the fact solely that they are Jewish and not Aryan, then you are devaluing their baptism and making them a second-class Christian. Never make someone a second-class Christian. Period. Hard stop. Moving on. The assertion that the pastor must be Arian puts too much significance on the person where it should be put on the proclamation. Yes and amen. The other assertion the church should be 
should do whatever the government is doing. This was another big argument. It was like, well, if the government is doing it, we should do it as well. Is a blind devotion that should not be in the church for freedom comes from preaching. Okay. And that creates a large elephant in the room that we should probably talk about. And its name is COVID-19 2020 pandemic because we just can't get away from it. Was it right the question we're going to continue ask, continue to ask for a very long time, was it biblical, was it glorifying to God that churches closed their doors, went online, encouraged their members to stay home, to wear face masks, to baptize themselves in Purell? Shouldn't have used the word baptize, but you get the idea. Was it glorifying to God that churches did this because the government was asking them to? Or did a whole lot of people, including yours truly, live in sin because we chose to just blindly follow the church or blindly follow the government over listening to finding freedom in preaching? And the answer the answer for me continues to be, I don't know, but I, I believe that I was following. I believe that I was doing what was best to take care of my neighbor in a time that had a lot of opinions, a lot of misinformation, a lot of changing information, I believe that I pers- that I personally I can't speak for the entirety of the church but my motivation was to take care of my neighbor including my very anxious wife during that time period as best as I could and if that meant I had to stay home and watch church on my birthday one of the loneliest birthdays I've ever had in my life My wife fell asleep on the couch while I was watching my favorite movie because she was just so exhausted. Um, It's not about me. Sorry. Um, But I, I think that if the motivation was to do the next right thing, if you've ever seen the movie Frozen 2, I sometimes find that song, The Next Right Thing, I think is what it's called, to be one of the best songs written because it's just about how sometimes in life you just look to do the next right thing and we were in a time where we weren't (laughs) we weren't sure what we were supposed to be doing the government gave us some mandates we looked to scripture to see taking care loving our neighbors be anxious for nothing and did the next right thing that we could so that was my motivation Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I should have found one of those churches that gave a big middle finger to the government and said, we will not close our doors. And I I guess if I have to stand before God and talk this one out with him later on, I will. But I believe that if the motivation was to take care of our neighbors, to love our neighbors by staying home, trying to cut things down as best we could in a very confusing time, I think we did okay. 
But that's my 10 cents. My two cents are free. Don't tell him I keep saying that. I don't want him to start charging me. Anyway, um, where am I? Bonhoeffer starts to wrap this up now by saying, those not affected by the Aryan paragraph should use their elevated privilege, his words, not mine, to stand by those with less, lesser status rather than benefit from their privilege. Again, his words, not mine. You cannot you cannot accuse me of being woke because this is what Bonhoeffer says. If you are in a situation, I should not globalize this as much. At this time, for the churches that were passing this, he was calling for Christians that were not affected by this this decision to use their elevated privilege to stand for those with less status. And that sure does sound like something else I've heard a lot during 2020 as well. Man, I should have started this podcast in 2020 and just started with this Bonhoeffer stuff, man. Like, <laughs> might have helped a little. I don't know. Um, yeah, if you are in a church where you have elevated status, I'll let you decide what that means, and you see somebody being taken advantage of because they have lesser status, you should use your privilege to their advantage and care for them and love them and, you know, be the body of Christ for that person. Huh. Okay, that's a good one to think about, I I think at least. And yeah, that's basically where he lands the plane at for this conversation is this idea that if as churches continue to compromise the gospel and kick people out solely based off of their race, that other Christians should use their privilege to elevate those with lesser status. This is sick and disgusting. Just gonna, this, this whole situation, obviously, obviously, this is all sick and disgusting. And it's sick and disgusting that this still happens nationally. And it's sick and disgusting that this still happens in churches. Figure it out. Now, for the 99... For the 99.9% listening who are saying, yep, right there with you. Mm -hmm. Sounds good. Thank you for this. I appreciate you. And I appreciate you because there's been a lot of great, I've been getting a lot of very positive feedback on this series. And I don't get a lot of positive feedback, so thanks. I appreciate it. But for you 99.9% who are saying, yes, amen, we should not be bigots at church. How can I continue to be not anti-Semitic and use my elevated privilege to build up the body of Christ. Well, I'm glad you asked citizen. Um, here's a couple of my thoughts and basically I can summarize this, summarize it as this, get some education. And as Brett McKay from the art of Man manliness would say, not only get some information, but use what you put, what you've learned 
into action, okay? If you want to continue to not be a jerk to your neighbor and to continue to properly build up and disciple the body of Christ, educate yourself. And I'm not just talking about classes. I know when you're listening to a podcast that has the word seminary in it, you just think this, my solution is always going to be, go take a class. No, I, that's that's not what I'm getting at here. Really, go talk to somebody who's not you. Let's start there. Get perspective from somebody who's not you from some guy who's not a 30 almost 30 year old white dude from the midwest go talk to somebody listen to them ask questions and be ready to be told you're wrong or you're that's actually very racist or that's offensive you know i one of my good friends from church she is a hispanic single mom and i have learned so much about not just like racial things but like i have learned so much about how the church has ostracized people a single moms so much how we have absolutely dropped the ball so badly for single moms and if you're a single mom listening to this i am sorry i i don't know if i did it but i just i just i'm sorry that this exists and that this continues to be a problem I don't know how to fix that. I want to because I love my friend. She's a great person. But talk to somebody. Get that perspective that's not you. I'll say the catchy buzzword. Get out of your echo chamber. Go get inside someone else's and listen for a while. So start there. And yes, obviously, you're listening to a podcaster, I would say, listen to to some podcasts that talk about this. Go check out Ministry Misfits. Go check out 30 Minutes with the Perrys. Go back in the MSL archive back to February. We did a whole episode on social justice. Go check those out. Go check those out. It'll help you out. Read some books. There's books out there. You know, Misreading Scripture with Western Eyes. Reading While Black, White Fragility, go read some books. And again, be ready for the proverbial nutshot of, oh, this really hurts because this is calling out stuff that I've never realized before in my own life that I was doing that is racist and offensive. Watch some documentaries. I recently watched, it's newer-ish on Hulu, but I recently watched Grand... Grand Nighthawk. Uh, it's about an FBI agent who infiltrated the KKK. And it was fascinating and sad and, a l- and disturbing. It was disturbing. Watch documentaries. Learn about our dark history. Because should I sound cliche for a second and remind you that if we don't learn from history, we're doomed to repeat it. So please like, pay attention a little bit to actual history not the whitewashed version that a lot of us grew up on and okay so i do have to give the pitch for you can take classes too obviously right now i'm no expert on this but because i have a podcast that has the word seminary in it i feel like i should be a little bit in the know on these things so something that i have heard before is that 
those degree programs and classes that are for like uh, in business management, that's like diversity and inclusion stuff. It's BS and not like it's woke liberalism, but like, it's just not good. It's just not, it's not helpful. Those type of classes. What I have seen is that if you are interested in a more academic environment, like I am, with learning by learning about justice, social justice, peace, y- you might have to become Catholic or Anglican because that seems to be the places where these things are openly and positively taught. Speaking in my own geographic context, Loyola University, Lewis University, I think also Notre Dame, all Catholic institutions, all have classes and degree programs related to justice, social justice, and peace. I think I've also seen before, I'm positive with Boston University's School of Divinity, which between you and me is kind of becoming like the school I really want to do doctoral work with, but I, but anyway, um, they have a number of classes. I think they're Anglican in tradition, but they have a lot of ecumenical studies. Um, and so they should, or they should. Um, and so with their Anglican tradition, they do have a number of classes related again to this topic of, uh, justice, social justice and peace. And as we start to wrap this up of how can we continue to not be racist, I'm going to steal an idea from Pastor Will. Thanks, Pastor Will. Um, (laughs) An idea from him of, you know how your church has a library? Or maybe you go to a church that like mine that somehow doesn't have a library section. First off, start the library section. I need to remind myself to do that. And second have a social justice library or section devoted to the topic of social justice. So that way people in your church or your ministry in general can easily access books on the topic to continue to educate themselves positively. One last thing, as we start to draw this episode to an end, uh, one last thing, one last recommendation, specifically on the anti-semitic side of things um i think this has been a conviction of mine really since i started seminary two years ago it's been a part of my uh research over the past two years is that i really think we need to um read more jewish thought and theology who better to tell us about the cultural context and the Jewish understanding of Old Testament passages than a rabbi. I know that there are some Christians who have done a lot of extensive work on um, on Jewish studies. Michael Raldanik from the Moody world, I would cite him as a positive person who has done some good work in this area. And there's a lot of not great resources out there. But I have found that, yeah, we might come to different conclusions 
in the end, depending on whatever the passage is. But who better to help me understand the Old Testament or even a the Jewish understanding of things from the New Testament either, even, in the case of like Messianic Jewish people, than people who are Jewish, than rabbis, than Jewish philosophers, you know? A lot of like back earlier this year, which seems like forever ago now, uh, during Roots of Sabbath, there was a lot of like rabbis. We were reading a lot of like rabbi material and um, Jewish philosophy when it came to talking about the Sabbath. And many of you know that uh, my family has been celebrating Hanukkah since I was like five. And as an adult, I've been spending more and more time researching and studying and learning so that way we can uh, celebrate this holiday respectfully towards the culture and not just hijack it for our own personal gain. So that would be my encouragement to those, whether you're a pastor or just you know another podcaster or whoever, if you're involved in ministry that involves some form of proclamation, written, spoken, or otherwise, I don't know what the otherwise would be, smoke signals, my encouragement to you would be start looking outside of just the white evangelical understanding of a passage from insert Old Testament book here. Deuteronomy is the first one that popped into my mind. Um, and go look, see what a, see what a, uh, a rabbi has to say about these things. So that way maybe we can have a more authentic cultural understanding of what's going on in these passages. And maybe that could even help us a little bit when we do start looking more into the Christian understanding of, okay, he's saying this, these people are kind of saying this as well. Maybe this is the line I should be following. All right. And for the 1%, or excuse me, the 0.1% listening to this, I know I was a bit spicier earlier, but sincerely, I truly hope this has been the episode that you can finally feel the conviction and realize there's it's time to repent. And my preaching brain just kicked in and I wanted to say, let's pray. And maybe we should. Should we pray? Let's just say a quick prayer because this has been, you know, this is such a relevant and timely conversation. Let's, I'm, uh, Josh, I'm feeling very Pentecostal right now. So I'm going, I'm just going to start us off here or end us off here with a little bit of prayer before we do all the usual roundup stuff. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you, through the blood of Jesus Christ, have brought us into one family, into one kingdom, into one body. We thank you that we did not merit this on our own, but it's because of your radical love for us that you have brought us into this body and into this kingdom and into this family. I thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ, the ones who speak into me, for the ones I have met, for the ones I've yet to meet. I thank you for them. I thank you for the healing that I have experienced through a lot of my relationship with people through uh, this body that you've brought us into. I pray for those 
brothers and sisters that I have hurt. Please forgive me. I pray that you will continue to work in me, Holy Spirit, to forgive those who have hurt me. I pray now for peace in your church. I pray now that we will overcome these divisions, that we will stop throwing spikes down into your church, into your flock, and making your sheep scatter into these different camps. Please forgive us for these times when we have caused division. Please forgive us for these times when we have shown partiality because of race. Please forgive us for those times when we did not use our elevated privilege to love and care and protect those who are being taken advantage of. Forgive us, Father, for we have sinned. I pray now that you will guide me through the rest of this episode. I love you and thank you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, let's go ahead and do all the wrap-up stuff then because we've gone long once again. If you can't tell, I've said it before, I'm very passionate about mental health, but more and more I've become very, continue to become more aware of this need as well to speak against racism and to speak for unity, unity folks. Anyway, well, thanks for listening to today's episode. Uh, If you enjoyed today's episode like you really enjoyed it like you really 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 enjoyed it because i know some of you have please consider heading on over to buymeacoffee.com slash msl pod and make a little donation uh, a virtual cup of coffee costs three bucks and uh, that money goes to helping grow the show keep things go- running around here you can also join the msl fan club for nine dollars a month that gets you exclusive access to uh, exclusive posts exclusive access to exclusive posts yep that's that's how that sentence works um and including finding out ahead of time what's coming out a month next month on the show the uh reveal for what's coming out next month uh, for august just dropped this week and so uh if you support the show for nine dollars a month you get to find out a little insider information uh about the show and stuff going on in the background and you get a shout out here on the show as well Please, if you haven't yet already, uh, rate and review the show wherever you get your podcasts. I recently did it for <laughs> for the show on Spotify. I'm a bad person. And uh, seriously, it's like three clicks. It takes you like 10 seconds or something. So go do that. Five stars. Really any stars. Just just give me some stars. I don't care. Stars are stars. Um, algorithm. Whatever. We all bowed the knee to the gods of the algorithm eventually, right? No, we shouldn't. We shouldn't compromise the gospel for numeric gain. Bonhoeffer. <laughs> Lawyered. Um, I'm a mess. <laughs> so, thanks for listening. Next week on the show, I don't know if you knew this, but um, during World War II, there was another very well-known uh, Christian theologian 
and professor. Maybe you heard of him. His name was C.S. Lewis. Maybe you've heard that name before. And since both Bonhoeffer and C.S. Lewis were both not only in ministry during World War II, but they were also both professors right around this time, both of them have thoughts on what you should do as a theology student, as a student in general, during the war. And so next week on the show, I'm going to be joined by the one, the only, the man of a thousand and one podcast, Joshua Knoll, to talk about Bonhoeffer and C.S. Lewis's views on being a student during the war. And not only is it Dietrich Bonhoeffer, not only is it C.S. Lewis, and not only do we have a great guest, but you're not going to want to miss this because there's also... A big announcement. Yeah, really loading the deck on this episode. Please come back and check it out. But until then, this is Brandon signing off, reminding you as always that theology is for everyone. So keep on studying.